Good morning. We are pausing in our series on full-spectrum discipleship because what we want to do is to rivet our attention this morning upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he, our substitute, died so that we might have life, everlasting life in Christ and Christ alone. My theme in these few verses together this morning as we're going to prepare our hearts for the bread and for the cup is the theme of reconciliation. You and I entered this world because of sin alienated from God. But because of Jesus Christ and his finished work, there is reconciliation through his shed blood. And what I'd like to do is to draw our attention in these few minutes together to some verses found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. Years ago, we covered this together in a very long series, the book of Colossians. But I'd like now to return there and to extract some verses from 19 through 23 that help us to prepare our hearts for the bread and the cup that will be coming our way very shortly. Because in chapter 1, verse 19, an incredibly profound statement is made with regard to who Jesus is and what Jesus did and the implications that it has for you and for me. For Paul wrote, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now, now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's look to our Lord and pray. Our Father, when we look at what's happening globally and then we examine our hearts internally, there's creeping alienation, separation, isolation. The world isn't what it ought to be. But then we look in the mirror and say, but I'm not what I ought to be. We find ourselves alienated. And what we desperately need is to rivet our attention and our faith in the reconciler, the one who brings all things together, the one who takes the disorder of this cosmos he created and then through his agency dies in our place, our substitute for our sins. Our Father, we want the deep sense of your presence in these minutes together as we reflect upon your word, so fill our minds, 
so center our hearts that we're going to be different when we leave than when we came. So, Father, it's our prayer now that you warm these hearts, that you engage these minds, and that you shape these wills. Because again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to make peace, Elvin said. Just want to make peace. I want to be able to sit with Lyle again like we did as children on the farm. Look up at the stars together like we used to. It's the story of Alvin Strait and his 1994 journey across Iowa and Wisconsin on a lawnmower in order to bring reconciliation into a a relationship that for some reason had gone wrong. He had heard that his brother Lyle on his farm in Wisconsin had suffered a stroke. And Alvin? Well, Alvin, at the age of 73, decided that he was going to have to do something to be able to repair this broken relationship. Because Alvin's legs were too impaired for him to receive a driving license, he hitched a trailer to his recently purchased 30-year-old John Deere 110 lawn tractor, having a maximum speed of 5 miles per hour, and set off from Lawrence, Iowa to Mount Zion, Wisconsin. It would take him six weeks It was the journey of reconciliation. And along the way, this strong, quiet gentleman would bump into people who found themselves alienated in their relationships. Like the time he passed a young female hitchhiker who later approached his campfire saying that she couldn't seem to get a ride. And in conversation, he deduced that she was pregnant though in the early stages of her pregnancy and had run away from home. And Alvin tells the hitchhiker about the importance of family life by describing a bundle of sticks that's hard to break. For he said, united we stand, divided we fall. And the next day, Alvin emerged from the trailer to find that the hitchhiker had left him a bundle of sticks tied together, implying that she planned to return to her family and reconcile with them. Along the way, Alvin, in a rainstorm, found an abandoned farmhouse seeking shelter. And as he sat there on the porch, absorbing all that creation offers, He would say to himself, I just want to make peace. I want to be able to sit with Lyle again and look up at stars together. Just like we used to. 
Alvin's tractor along the way began to break down, and so he ended up with a, a, a large bill. Mechanics, twins, constantly bickering. And Alvin successfully negotiated the price down with his explanation of his mission, which he calls, quote, a hard swallow to my pride, but you see a brother is a brother, you know. And the mechanics look at one another and they can relate to this and all of a sudden decide they need to reconcile and make peace. As the reconciliation journey continued on that tractor at five miles an hour, until finally he makes his way to a place where in the very town where his farming brother would be found, he he sleeps in a graveyard only to find that there is a pastor looking at him when he opens his eyes and the pastor has brought out some meatloaf and other forms of food to help the man and Alvin describes his mission and asks if the pastor has heard of his brother and the pastor said, yes, I, I visited him in the hospital but he never mentioned that he had a brother which doesn't surprise Alvin, you know. Finally, Alvin makes his way after the long journey, the journey of reconciliation to the to the farmhouse, which, according to the story, is dilapidated. And using his two canes, Alvin makes his way to the door. And he calls for his brother, and at first Lyle doesn't appear, and Alvin expresses relief when he does. It's obvious that time and health have affected him, the stroke and the likes. And the two brothers make contact, one with a walker and the other one with two canes. And Lyle invites Alvin to sit down, and then Lyle looks out at Alvin's more attractive contraption and asks Alvin if he has ridden that crazy thing just to come to see him. Lyle's moved. The two men sit. They sit on the front porch. They look up at the stars, just as they had done as children on the farm. That story was made into a movie, the straight story. And what we find here is a story that comes straight from heaven. Where God has designed a reconciliation journey. Where you and I are part of that story because somebody, so to speak, via Bethlehem on Calvary has stepped out on the front porch of our lives and announced his presence and wants to bring together those that have been separated by sin. What I want to do with you in these few minutes together as we are preparing our hearts for the bread and the cup is to draw out two 
significant combinations of the way in which this reconciliation journey unfolds. And the first flows here naturally out of verse 19 and 20. It'll appear on the screen that as you and I, as we prepare for communion, what I'd love for us to do now is to reflect upon the person and work of Christ. This is a combination. The person, who Christ is, the work, what Christ did, and you can't separate the two. You have the person, and because of who he is, he and he alone is prepared for what he has done. Now, you're going to notice with me in your Bible that in verse 19, Paul tells us, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, let's focus upon that little prepositional phrase, in him, because that speaks of the person of Christ. Now, when you and I look at the Bethlehem story, what we are immediately informed of is that because Mary conceived of Jesus in her womb by the Holy Spirit, Jesus has two natures, doesn't he? He's fully divine and he's fully human. Here we find the Bethlehem story unfolding before us, for in him all the fullness of God. Park on that for a second. Notice the word fullness. It carries with it the idea of the sum total of all of God's attributes. In other words, when Jesus Christ took on humanity, he did not give up any deity. When Jesus Christ became human, he did not give up an inch of godness. And so now we ask ourselves, and why? And that's going to be addressed. For in him all the fullness, not part of the fullness, all the fullness of God was pleased. This was God's pleasure for Jesus Christ to become human. But notice here that it was God's pleasure for the fullness of God to dwell in him. The word dwell is the word that we use to describe tabernacle. And the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. He was a traveling tabernacle, he was. You see, in your older testament, Moses had to go into the tabernacle to dwell with the fullness of God. Later, God offered the fullness of his glory in the temple where Solomon and those that were serving in the temple were overwhelmed, you see, by God's presence. But out of that Bethlehem story, what you and I find is the pleasure of God unfolding here, for in him, Jesus, all, not part of, all the fullness, all the sum total of the attributes of God, was pleased to dwell. And so now he's making a tabernacle statement to you and to me. And what you and I see here in verse 19 is the deity of Jesus Christ, 100% God. But now you join with me and you draw a line down to chapter 2, verse 9. 
Do you see the similarities and the additions? For in him the full the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Where if in chapter 1, you and I spotted in verse 19 that we were dealing with the deity of Christ, when chapter 2, verse 9, where the fullness of deity dwells bodily, there you and I are reminded of the humanity of Christ, two natures in one person, 100% God, 100% man. This is the Christmas story. What Bible teachers would describe as the incarnation. The two natures in one person. The Holy Spirit and Mary. Deity, humanity. Converging question, why? What God is doing in eternity past is that he has designed a bridge, a divine human bridge to be able to bring together that which has been separated by sin, as the Garden of Eden story unpacks for us. And so God has designed a bridge where the Holy Spirit, deity, and Mary, humanity, Two natures, one person, so that the perfect bridge might be brought in to bridge that which has been separated. It was 1937, and it was the inauguration of the Golden Gate Bridge. And the chief engineer who had written on the subject, in his closing statement before the bridge was opened, said, quote, I present to you a bridge that will last forever, unquote. And what God says via the empty tomb is that I present to you a bridge that will last forever. What this world needs in this incredible global alienation with the Ukraine being absorbed in conflict, with the Middle East facing the ever-expanding tentacles of ISIS, is for somebody to bridge the gap where there is such alienation and produce an eternal reconciliation. And God says, two natures, one person, We start with the Bethlehem story, but we don't end with the Bethlehem story. Because what you now do in verse 19 is that you have underlined the phrase in him, and now you draw a connection of verse 20, which begins with the statement, through him, which now appears on the screen. Because if the first deals with the whole idea of the person of Christ in him, The second deals with the work of Christ through him, and God could not reconcile through him until God had produced this combination of humanity combined with deity in him. Because Jesus Christ had to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be 100% God, yet 100% man, two natures, one person. Because as we have oftentimes said, Only men should pay the penalty. 
only God could pay the penalty. So we need the fullness of deity to be dwelling in bodily form in him, two natures, one person. And once we have hammered down the in him, then we can move to the through him. And now what you have done with those two little statements in him and through him, you have moved from Bethlehem in him to Calvary through him. And you've connected the dots. And notice what it says. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. And what captures the attention of the student of God's word is that five times that phrase all things appears in a very condensed form in these verses. For example, in chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. See the all things? Now notice the scope of all this. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created now through him. So he is the agent of creation. You see the word through him on the screen? That deals with Jesus being the agent of reconciliation. But what we find in creation is that he was the agent of creation. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But you say, but Gary, I look at this world and I study the news, and all things have come apart. Something has gone wrong between, between Genesis and the cross. And yes. You see, he was the agent of creation, but then Adam and Eve sinned. And out of this perfect creation came sinful alienation. But notice that Adam and Eve did not initiate reconciliation with God. They didn't go seeking out God. No, God sought them out. God is the initiator of of reconciliation. And so all of life, when you and I watch the news and we traffic with people at work on a daily basis, we're trafficking, if they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, with an alienated heart. Alienated from self. Why? Adam is self-conscious. Alienated from those around him. Eve blaming Adam, Adam blaming Eve. Alienated with the environment. They're going to have to work the ground and thorns are going to prick the skin. Out of all these forms of alienation, psychological, sociological, ecological, is the ultimate one, theological, because because humanity is alienated from God. But somebody has got to take the initiative, you see, to produce reconciliation out of alienation. And you see it right here, where the in him is connected to the through him. And we need somebody to be the bridge to bring together that which is separate. Now, you have just looked at Christmas and Easter in two verses. 
But what we're going to do now is move from Christ to Christian. And a second combination. Because secondly, as we prepare for communion together, you and me, I want us to reflect upon the before and the after of Christians. And we're going to look very carefully in just a few minutes at this combination. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, stop right there. And circle the word once. Because now what appears on the screen is the before. We are the once alienated. If you are born again, what you and I know is that if you are born only once, you die twice. But if you are born twice, you only die once. The believer has got a before and an after, but when the bread and the cup are being served, and you're looking very carefully at the bread, and you're thinking of that broken body of Jesus, no sin found in him, but my sin placed upon him, it's because of my brokenness and my alienation that that body is broken. And it's substitution because it's for me and it's for you. And so now we look very carefully and we say we were once alienated. But by God's grace, we are not continually alienated. That God in singular form has stepped in in dramatic fashion via the cross. And now combining the Christmas story, the in him, with the Easter story, the through him, there are benefits to you and benefits to me because we enter into this world with a sinful nature and we were once alienated. But what I want you to see here, it's past tense. It doesn't say we are continually alienated who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And what Paul has done is that he has brought together three descriptives to describe the before of the Christian life. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. My sinful actions flow out of my sinful nature. I sin because I am a sinner. I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. The sinful nature produces the sinful actions, you see. So now you and I are holding that bread, and then in a few seconds we are considering that cup, and we see the brokenness, but the brokenness of the body is the substitute for the brokenness of humanity, broken in its relationship with God, broken in relationship to self, broken in relationship to other people, and broken in relationship to the environment. In other words, what was meant to be harmony is now dissonance and conflict. And it gets played out in the events on the world stage night after night in the daily news updates. 
those that follow the history of presidential campaigns. There was a particular campaign in 1968 after the United States seemed to be at a breaking point in terms of conflict after and in the midst of the Vietnam War. Out of Deschler, Ohio, there was a 13-year-old girl who picked up a sign that someone had dropped, held it up, Throughout the years since, this sign reappears every so often. It's one of the most powerful signs in presidential campaigns. What did the sign say? Quote, bring us together again. Unquote. We need an again. We need to be born again. Now, what God has done via Jesus, second member of the Trinity, is that he says, there's a once here, and you, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, and now you see the sinful nature produces the sinful actions. You ask, how then can this be addressed? How in a world that experiences alienation on the global scale, and yet people experience this individually at the personal scale, how can this be fully addressed? What I want you to see now is the next prepositional phrase that appears on the screen. Now reconciled. In verse 22, he, not we, He has now reconciled his body in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's your after. And all this was done, according to verse 20, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice that tyrants make peace by the blood of those who have offended them. The difference here is that this is not the offended party taking the blood of the offending party. This is the offended party offering his own blood for the offending party. And while a pharaoh of old or a herod of New Testament times would shed others' blood so that they could maintain their form of peace, God sovereignly gives his son to shed his own blood so that we might be able to experience eternal peace. And God says, I present to you a bridge that will last forever. And so you take now all of this, whether on earth or in heaven, in verse 20, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you drop it down now to verse 22, 
We're once alienated, now reconciled. We realize we're reconciled. He has now reconciled in his body, not via my body of flesh. His death, not my death. With a very purposeful intent to present you and to present me holy, blameless, above reproach. Did you see he took the triplicate there? And he contrasts it with the triplicate in verse 21. You were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And now he says, in essence, to present you holy and a blameless and above reproach before him. And now you've pulled all these phrases together. It's in him. It's through him. It's to him. It's before him. In other words, it's all about him. I just want peace. I just want to be able to sit with Lyle and look up at the stars together just like we used to when we were children on the farm. And God is saying, I have made peace. And you can sit with the Lyles of your life and look up at the stars and realize that the agent of creation became the agent of reconciliation. And that which was separated is united in Jesus and him alone. We praise you for that, Father. Thanking you for who you are, thanking you for what you've done thanking you that we can shift from a before to a now. Not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of Christ's work. While false religions of this world look for ways to take initiative, to be able to bring reconciliation out of alienation based on their works, penance, pilgrimages, and the like. You sent Jesus on the ultimate pilgrimage. And on that journey of reconciliation via Bethlehem on to Calvary, he becomes the agent so that we might be able to live in him. So we thank you, Father. And when we see the brokenness of the bread, we see the wholeness of salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. In Jesus' name.